0: So how I typically explain that job to any given individual is I say, think about the show How It's Made. You're seeing all of these components that they're running out through. They're going through conveyors. They're going into vats. Sometimes they're pouring molten metal. Every piece of equipment that you see in How It's Made, maybe apart from a forklift, and even depending on the circumstance, including a forklift, would be maintained by millwrights. You know, that includes greasing things, aligning belts, aligning motors, bucket elevators, the whole nine yards. You can get into valves, you can go into pumps. A lot of people specialize in things. Some people go on to be vibration analysis or lube techs. You can go anywhere with it, really. It just kind of depends on what you enjoy and what you want to narrow in with and what opportunities present themselves for you. As a miner, you wouldn't really see me on how it's made. But you kind of get the concept that there's probably going to be conveyors and crushers. And a hoist mechanism to bring the rock up and down.
1: Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners,
2: hiring managers, and
1: the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams.
2: Thank you for tuning in to the Skill Stadium podcast. Welcome to episode 104, I am your host, Keith Williams. Every week, we invite you to join us with our conversations with leaders in the skilled trades, business owners, hiring managers, educators, and the professionals that work in the profession and make it happen. You're gonna hear from people sharing their stories, their advice, job opportunities, and they're gonna tell you if they're hiring. If you find value in this episode, please leave a five-star rating, Share it with someone who might benefit from it. And once again, thank you again for listening to the Skill Stadium podcast and tuning in. Today's guest is from Sudbury, Ontario. That's a town north of Ontario. My guest is a welder, millwright, and apprentice. My guest is an ambassador for kick ass careers. And my guest, during her free time, enjoys skiing and snowboarding. Please welcome Kendra Linema to the Skill Stadium podcast. Kendra how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great how are you?
2: Excellent excellent Kendra I really appreciate you taking the time for us to do this podcast recording over because we had challenges before so thank you so much let me just start off there. Right.
0: Yeah no problem like it's uh, things happen right things yep. get in the way and uh technical issues just happen all the time so we may as well make do with what we got.
2: Yep yep I, you know and I have a backup system with doing this without doing it online. So Kendra's Mm -hmm. been so gracious to do it over again. But one of the things that really impressed me with you, Kendra, is that you have a strong online presence and you don't see a lot of people, you know, in the skill trades, not everybody is online. You know, how has that helped you in your career, just having that online presence, being in places like LinkedIn and taking advantage of these social media platforms? Because
0: really honest with you at first I wasn't uh, fully comfortable having much of an online presence so I I mostly just started off with LinkedIn because I I guess I was scared of judgment that might take place in the workplace but LinkedIn is like the safest place to do that because it's just uh, professionals looking for other professionals so if I wanted to put myself out there as a professional and you know at that time the occasional public speaker for women in trades and so on and so forth LinkedIn was the place to do it but as I started to expand, I started noticing that a lot of other people on LinkedIn actually also had Instagram profiles that they were setting up just for trades and things like that. And I was starting to see a huge rise in that in my feed. So I was like, okay, I guess it's time to do it. But I knew that deep down, I couldn't fully commit to making an actually interesting page just about me. So I contacted my now ex coworker, So my coworker because we work in the same company, but not at the same location. Jessica's kept. And... We just started an Instagram together called No Rightish Chicks. There we post content that's sort of related to our field, it's related to what we might be doing as far as public outreach for gaining more people in the skilled trades.
2: Definitely, definitely. I also think that you also serve as an ambassador for young women who want to follow in your footsteps just by them seeing you as an example in the work that you're doing. I'm sure that that, surely that has an impact on what you post.
0: Oh, absolutely. When I was a kid, well, I'm not really a kid. When I was in high school trying to choose my career, I had so many different options I was looking at. And my welding teacher had encouraged me to pursue welding. But at that time, there wasn't much of a push for women in trades. So I, I looked him dead in the eyes and I said, there's no way someone's going to hire me. Who's going to hire a little girl? You know, I, I looked like maybe I was a 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. I had like twigs for arms. Yeah, I was a great welder, but that didn't mean anything. No one was going to actually hire me in the field. And then I took a co-op. Well, I took a victory lap in high school. Mm-hmm. give myself a bit more of a year to figure it out. And then I had a co-op at a sign shop. So graphic design was one of the technical trades I was considering.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I, you know what? I wanted to not quite leave behind the shop world. So I kind of got to experience a bit of both. But I truly fell in love with the shop world compared to sitting at the desk and remaking other people's designs all day.
2: Sure.
0: And you know, I So while I was there, sorry. While I was there they started to come out with articles about how major companies are gonna have to start hiring more women and making it a more diverse workplace and things like that. So it gave me the confidence that I truly needed to actually apply for a trade on the tools kind of thing. And without that I don't think I would be here, you know, literally kicking ass and Succeeding in my career and on top of that, speaking on behalf of women in trade.
2: Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there are those women who blaze that path for you. And Mm -hmm. it's good that there are companies that finally started to get that and understand that it's so important for them, not just to communicate that message, but to also take action. So that, because mm-hmm. people have to see, you know, it's not, it's enough. Everybody can say, "Hey, we want diversity. We want, you know, more women in the trades." But until they start doing it, you know, it, it you know, exactly, yeah, you know, we we pay. I'll, I have a saying, pay attention to what people do, not what they say. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so no, that's good. That's good to hear. So. Let me ask you something, you know, so you did welding and, you know, you also had an opportunity to do automotive through high school. Now you've mm-hmm. kind of made this tradition, tra- transition to being a millwright. For people who don't know what a millwright does, walk us through that job. What exactly does a millwright do? Because the average person, I don't think, understands the work that a millwright does.
0: Well, you know what? The average millwright doesn't totally understand the work that a millwright does because it totally depends on the industry that you're in. Mm -hmm. If I was in the food industry, it would look completely different from the automotive industry or the automotive industry versus the mining industry. So that is the coolest part about Melrite, in my opinion. You know, like welding in a lot of ways can look very, very similar. And at the end of the day, you know, right, when you think about it, a gearbox is a gearbox and a motor is a motor. But, you know, it's just the the different applications and the things that you're going to see on a regular basis differ a thousand percent based on the location. So a millwright pretty much takes care of anything that's bolted to the ground. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Electrical is part of our trade. However, it's not necessarily part of mine because we're unionized and we need to pick up the jobs that the electricians have, which is fine for me because I don't like electrical anyway.
1: sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so we take care of pumps. Those are bolted down. We take care of motors. We do the changeouts for those. don't necessarily um, wire them up or anything. But we also maintain equipment. So like a press at a welding shop. Or an iron worker, we would grease, change the hydraulic fluid. That's pretty common, changing out the filters. Sometimes we machine things. So that's very common, too. A lot of, I guess, on a last-minute job, if you didn't have a coupling, you could make a rigid coupling by machining it last minute. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're waiting for the parts to come in, which is super convenient. Ooh, so so what? is the jack-of-all-trades.
2: Yeah, so what skill sets would you say does it take to be successful? Because I'm trying to envision the job. You're maintaining things that are bolted down. So would you say a lot of it is more attention to detail, creativity? What does it take to be successful in that particular role?
0: In the mining industry, I would say that burning, cutting, and welding are like awesome skills to have underground. Mm-hmm. But you also need to have that ability to take yourself out of the hacking and slashing and you know, do some critical thinking at the same time. Definitely. So I think adaptability is amazing. That is probably one of the best skills you could have. And the willingness to learn more. You know, the more you learn about different things, it's uh, kind of like some posts I've seen fluttering around on the internet where being a genius isn't necessarily knowing everything about one topic, but it's correlating one topic to another topic and coming up with a cool solution that kind of involves a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Now, is, so, no, right? Yeah. Like that with the traits. <laughs>
2: Now, is it easy to get, you know, so it seems like you, you said something about, you know, getting that information online. Is it easy to learn more online or do you have to go take courses or programs or is it a lot of self-learning?
0: Personally, I went to college. I think if there was any trade I would go to college for, it would probably be rates. Okay. But I'm a little biased having gone through that path, of course. Okay. I know that it's totally possible to learn it just by going through the apprenticeship. There's lots of fantastic rates out there that have done that. But um, it, it's the realizing how much goes into it right before you go into it. So you're going in with a, a critical thinking mindset, knowing that these are all the things that you have to take care of when you look into a shop. Mm-hmm. You know, when I enter a shop, I don't see a bunch of people working. What I see is the machine. Yes. I see how big they are. I see what I have to torque down later. You know, like I think about the jobs I have to do on those things later.
2: Okay. Yeah. So a little bit more analytical and just kind of planning out, all right, here's what I have to do with this particular mm-hmm. equipment. Here's the adjustments I have to make.
0: Here's the things I already know. And here's some things I'm going to have to look up on. Now, yeah.
2: do you coordinate with other people on things that you might not know? So, you know, you can't be expected to know everything, but no, do, you, not. do you have people on your team who say might be able to fulfill areas where you might not be as strong and then you can help them where they're not as strong?
0: That's for sure. A lot of the time, we kind of have people we almost designate to specific roles. Like, if it were to be a pump changeout, we'd call this guy. If it were to be a motor changeout, we might call this guy. If it was a cuffing alignment, we would definitely call this guy, you know? Okay. So I like the guy, but, you know, gender is totally not even important here. But that's just what I'm used to.
2: Definitely. Definitely. I think at the end of the day, it's just, you know, building that team of players who can complement mm-hmm. each other. And,
0: it's not just compliment each other, it's, uh, it's like being totally different in their skill sets. So you want a, a large person so that they can be there for hammering things out and really just bashing things. So that totally happens sometimes, or reaching up in a taller spot. You want a small person to fit into the tiny little crevices that need to be bolted down. You need someone that works hard, just freaking a hard worker, and you need someone that works smart. You need a full team of diverse people.
2: That makes sense. And I think that's why, mm-hmm. you're, that's why you're probably seeing more women being recruited to the field, I guess, because mm-hmm.
0: now, Well, women offer a, a different mindset, right? We, we all came through this world with a, a different set of eyes and with different social pressures. So I think that does add to the quality of this new age of trade.
2: I agree. I'll tell you something, and I, I've, I've done a number of interviews with men and women, and one of the things I've heard particularly for women, that is an advantage in welding is their attention to detail. So because Mm -hmm. their hands are are, are more steady in their attention to detail, they really excel in welding.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's not just the attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women actually, through evolution, have developed not stronger, but more muscles in their hands, Mm -hmm. which allows us to have a better control of our, our puddle, right? Yes. And it's easier to... Keep yourself exactly the way you want to be because there's very specific, especially in pig welding positions you need to be in with your
2: hands. Definitely. Definitely. No, that makes sense. Now, Mm -hmm. working in the mines, you know, people have perceptions of of working in a mine. I mean, I think the first thing people think of is danger. And I know that there is an emphasis placed on safety. Can you help people have a better understanding of what it's like to work in a mine? Because I'm telling you, the average person has no idea. What it's
0: like to you work know I've talked market. to a couple of Toronto people about the mines and I've come to realize that just living in Sudbury, Ontario is absolutely strong mining town. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. have a base knowledge that other people don't and I did not realize that until I had to kind of go over what it's like. but you know there's no pickaxes anymore. We have machines that do everything and uh, we put it like it's called screen but I guess you would describe it more as a a, a metal fence. Mm-hmm. That actually goes all over the whole back of the walls, and it gets bolted in with these really long bolts to ensure that no ground just falls on you. Sure. Obviously, that doesn't always work all the time. If there's a seismic event, that we we'll monitor when they're coming and their patterns and things like that. Sometimes it fails, but for the most part, it does pretty good. We also shotcrete the walls, which is basically spraying like a, a layer of concrete over the entire wall. That's mm-hmm. not everywhere, and that's not all the time honestly, the screen typically does more than enough. But really commonplace areas might have that, or shop areas. We have machines that do everything, really. Almost every mine will probably have a whole muck circuit, Mm -hmm. which consists of uh, a bunch of, or at least one loading station, where the muck will be loaded into that. And then from there, it'll go into a whole ram, which kind of breaks down into pieces. From there, it might go into the crusher. And from the crusher, it will go onto a conveyor belt, which reaches the loading pocket, which would be next to your cage or elevator down to underground. And then that would hoist the muck up and it would dump it into a truck on surface. That will haul it wherever it needs to be.
2: Okay. And I don't think a lot of people realize, one of the things that I learned, you know, and I've spoken to you about this, that a lot of people may not realize, it's almost like a little city under there. Like, it is massive. It kind of is. Yeah. You know,
0: there's like lunchrooms and refuge stations all over the place. You stop in, you talk to these groups of people that are in this work group. You know, everyone shoots the shit. And then you go to the next spot. You have to work with that work group now. So you shoot the shit with them. You talk about the job. You talk about the location. But uh, yeah, it's like a, a little city, I guess, because there's just a bunch of highways with trucks running all the time.
2: That is unbelievable. And like I said, people just. You know, like I said, I feel like people don't understand just how big that is. And
0: Oh, there is more roads underground in my town than there are above surface. Wow. Honestly, like, even if you stretched it out and you went around Sudbury a little to some of the outskirts, there are still more roads underground in Sudbury.
2: Wow. And this is something that because has existed for years. it's not just
0: years. like one road, right? Right. It's more than the one road that's on the surface. It's layers and layers and layers of roads that all go underneath and around each other.
2: Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because it's not mm-hmm. just, it's multiple levels.
0: Exactly. And a lot of it is like, uh, so. we have lots of ramps, and those are really just spirals up and down. Wow. Yeah.
2: History behind this. How long has these mines been in existence?
0: No, like, God, Coleman, I'm pretty sure over 100 years. I want to say 1980-something. Like, that is the last photo I remember seeing of them. But they've been in operation for a long time. Mm-hmm. Deadbury in general. I used to have these numbers off by heart, but I don't anymore.
2: Sure. And how has technology, do you think, changed? You know, because, you know, I always think technology changes everything. But the work that you do is, it's almost the same work that would have been done years and years ago. But how has technology you know, like- helped you?
0: Even the the equipment we work on, some of it is well over 50 years old. Wow. Uh, Like the crusher that's at Coleman has never actually been fully changed out. Uh, It's just had pieces changed out. I'm sure that it's probably gone through an entire life cycle with the pieces that have changed out. But Mm -hmm. it's the exact same design with a couple of changes from way before. You know, they've added some safety stuff. They've added a lot more guarding. But at the heart of it, it's still the same crusher.
2: That's amazing. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you have to imagine getting these things down there, like, take the size of, I want to say an average living room, but I guess it's hard to imagine the average living room. Maybe triple it. That's probably just the size of the crusher.
2: Wow. Wow. Yeah. And somebody has to drive that down there, too, just so folks understand. Yeah, it would all
0: have to be, uh, so it goes on these things we call stone boats, and it gets pretty much just dragged to the location and then assembled in these fairly small pieces because it has to fit on the cage or
2: at least in the shaft. And then it has to weigh a certain amount for it to be able to
0: mm-hmm.
2: be uh, brought down there. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of what I'm, you know, as I'm listening to you, what I'm thinking is there's a lot of planning that people have to do, you know, processes yeah, and systems. Absolutely. And if you don't follow the process and system, there could be problems. So processes and systems are pretty critical for you
0: hmm So uh, if there's improper planning, a lot of the time jobs will
2: just get canceled. Okay. Wow. Now there, you know, when we talk about, you know, one of the things I really wanted to make sure that w- we touch on is, you know, women make up about 14% of the mining workforce in Canada. How do we start mm-hmm. increasing those numbers? Because I know you said that, you know, they're, they're pushing for that, but how do we actually make that happen? How do we change that?
0: Well, you know what, I think that uh, we've seen this labor shortage coming for a very long time now, and we should have started a long time ago by inspiring in girls in school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like, had I just known one year earlier, I would have started a year earlier that I could have been hired on as a welder, at least, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's probably, there was probably a lot of girls back then that just felt like there was no point in taking that choice because. It's not like it's going to mean anything anyways. It's going to be a wasted degree for me. It's going to be a waste of effort. So in my opinion, the best way to do it is to inspire young girls to want to do this job, to feel like empowered by this job, Yeah, you know, kind of feel like a badass. I want to be that badass.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also wonder if, you know, if you're starting in at the elementary, like, so what level of education, like, when do you want to start getting to these girls? Obviously, I think high school might be a little too late. But would you say maybe elementary?
0: You know what? If it just started with uh, people's mothers and fathers, bringing them into the garage or helping them do repairs in the kitchen and in the rest of the house, anyone that had those already existing trades-like skills and experiences, Mm -hmm. just getting your kids involved, that's work skill sets right there. You know, it takes a long time to learn how to use hand tools properly and to get really good at it.
2: I agree. I, I think one of the things that people underestimate is the influence of parents. And oh, yeah. parents make a big difference, you know. If if the especially when kids are young, that's you know, uh, that's all yeah, and
0: even the the intelligence of children and their capabilities. I mean, obviously, you're not just gonna throw them into the garage with a grinder alone, but maybe at least give them a hammer and a file or something.
2: I agree. And those are life skills, too. You know, if, if you have a home, you're in a home, there are just things that are going to go wrong in that home. And having handy mm-hmm. skills can help you save a lot of money, you know. Uh, For
0: sure. You know, like just putting down some baseboards, making the place look a little nicer.
2: Yes, definitely. What advice would you give young women who are coming into your industry now eh, to help them adapt and be successful? What would you tell them?
0: That, uh, well, I guess my location is a little different because... I get the impression that Toronto has a lot more women in the trades right now. I, I don't know if that's true. Obviously, it don't work out there. Sure. But uh, every single time that you're one of the first women that someone's worked with, or at least in the top five, you're giving them an impression of what it's like to have women in the workplace. Yes. Sometimes when a, a woman comes in and they, they feel like strongly motivated and empowered and they ask lots of questions and they do everything in their power to be just awesome at their job, they give an awesome impression and they make companies want to hire more women and they open the door to hundreds more women after them. Mm-hmm. But if you come in with a bad attitude and you have no intentions of learning anything and this is just an easy way to make money for you, you're really making it difficult for the women that come in after you, if any women come in after you for a long time.
2: That's true.
0: So I've heard companies tell me that they don't want to hire more women because they had a bad experience with one, pe- one person. And I'm like, well, how many bad experiences have you had with men? Yes you don't even know how to count
2: that. Yeah. Could you? Yeah. 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 No, great response. I mean, uh, that, you know, you can't punish the, you know, you can't punish a whole group for one person. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense for somebody to say just an excuse to expose who you really are, you know? Mm -hmm. So we definitely have to change that narrative. But I agree with you. That does make sense. You got to come in and set that example. I would also say that The network, you know, if you have a network of other women who are more seasoned and uh, who have more experience who can take you under their belt, I would imagine that. I got to believe that that's got to help too.
0: Because in any workplace, you're going to face a lot of issues, whether it comes to bullying or harassment or sexual sexual harassment, um, sexism in general. These Mm -hmm. things are going to come up. It doesn't matter where you go. It it happens to both genders. But uh, having a network of people that work in that field that are similar to you, to be able to ask them questions and follow their advice and things like that, or even just vent to them, someone that understands,
1: mm-hmm.
0: feels amazing. Because so I remember our union hosted the local women of steel training.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: went to that and I got to talk to all of these other women that are. were not only part of my local, but other locals. And we got to compare stories of what it's like working in a shop, what it's like working underground, what it's like working with certain men underground. And I didn't realize how alone I felt until I was in a room full of people that were together with
2: me. Mm -hmm. And that makes, I mean, that makes such a difference because, Mm -hmm. you know, you just, you need that support system and you need people who have empathy and can understand what, what you're going through. So um, Mm -hmm. one thing I'm curious about, what makes someone an elite millwright? So what does it take to be, obviously everybody wants to be good at their job and that's expected, but, What makes somebody an elite performer? What do they have to do? What skill sets? I think
0: the ability to stop and think. You know, a lot of people get flustered when things go wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe they get angry and they start throwing things. Maybe they just don't think straight anymore because it happens. A lot of the time you work in a really hot environment and it's even harder to think straight. But if you can just sit there, breathe for a couple minutes and stop and think, it makes a huge difference.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so
0: not just that, but the adaptability, like I said earlier.
2: Yes. No, that makes sense. That makes sense because, like you said, sometimes there are going to be things that you're going to come across that, you know, you haven't before. You don't recognize. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that that just, that also puts you in a bit of a, a leadership role in that you can help others who come across that because mm-hmm. you've figured out how to solve it and you become the person who's known to solve certain challenges that come up, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: You know, it might take you longer to figure it out than the person that's done it a million times, but at least you took the time to try and figure it out.
2: Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. And it's just, I I believe that's also a great mindset to have because, you know, no matter what you're doing, you're going to come across these challenges. And when you think about it, you know, the ability to solve problems have made businesses a ton of money. If you think about Mm -hmm. any of the challenges we've had, or just think about the technology that we have. Everything we have was invented by somebody, was created by somebody, and they had to think <laughs> in order to do it. It just didn't magically, it wasn't just magically created. So I think those analytical skills, you're right, are critical, and they are, they do separate one person from another. Yeah. Now, how did you get involved in, I wanted to ask you about this, because we have a, a mutual person that we know, Jamie McMillan. How did mm-hmm. you get involved in kick, Kick-Ass Careers? And you can tell us about the organization, please.
0: So well, actually, um, I went to Skills, Ontario, in I want to say 2019, right before the pandemic, the last one, and they had a women's conference. Cambrian College had asked me to just run the booth that they had running there. We were just making little wire barrette bracelets for the girls, and we were teaching them how to do it. And we talked a little bit about the college. But I got to see all of the keynote speakers. I'm pretty sure Jamie was one of them, but one that really stuck out to me because I was studying that trade was Millwright Kate. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's no longer with a cute-ass career she's gone on to put herself forward which is her herself first I should say which is absolutely fantastic
1: Excellent.
0: and it, I was like wow to listen to all of these things that this woman has done that I hope to do one day and to see it and to see her talking to this room full of young girls that are considering what they're going to do with their lives that was super impactful for me and then I saw someone that was uh, a pole. I keep thinking, I can't remember the name right now. Like Hydro One, they're, they're on the, the poles doing all of the, the cables and whatnot.
2: Yeah, the Hydro I, workers. Uh, I didn't even, yeah. yes. Uh,
0: I did not even know that a woman could do that job because I've been fighting sexism that's been established within myself this whole time, right? And I'm never going to stop fighting it because everyone totally has just a little piece of that in them that they should be fighting at all times. time. Sure. Yeah, so I I couldn't imagine a woman in that role. And then I saw one. And I was like, whoa, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen, too. So I felt like super empowered just being there. And then later on, when I started speaking with Cambrian College more often, and just speaking on behalf of Women in Trades and thinking of a lot of these questions that people typically ask me, I noticed that um, Kick-Ass Careers had some openings for people. Mm -hmm. And I messaged Jamie like right away. She's like, oh, my God, I've seen a video about you from Jill of All Trades. Yeah, absolutely, you can join. I was like, oh, sick. And since then, I guess it's just been uh, podcasts and interviews and articles. I'll
2: tell you, you know, that online presence, it's amazing Mm -hmm. the opportunities it opens because, you know, here you were doing something and you weren't even thinking about kick-ass careers. And boom, Mm -hmm. through one opportunity, you know through drill of all trades. Now you're an ambassador for kick-ass careers. You've mm-hmm. also acquired, you know, a number of skills. What's next for you?
0: Ooh, I would love to start touring high schools at some point, at least just uh, telling kids what options are out there for them and trying to give them a little bit of guidance because I felt so lost at that time.
2: How do we get more high schools to be open to having someone like yourself getting into high school, because I mean, it's, it, it would be a huge benefit, I believe, in attracting more women to the trade and just attracting more people in general to go into the trade. But how do we get high schools to support this?
0: I think one thing we need is something for the kids to do when we get there, you know? Yes. Cause it's one thing to sit there and talk, but that gets boring after a while. If you have something to do and accomplish and really see what trades are, hmm. that's totally different.
2: Almost like so a show. we just kind
0: of... Yeah, if you put it a little more budget into the show aspect of things, I think we could definitely encourage a lot more of it.
2: I'm going to share something with you that I, and it just kind of hit me. There's a uh, organization in Georgia called Be Proud, Go Pro, and they literally have a truck that pulls up at the high school and they have mm-hmm. things that people can put their hands on. They've got like, like a simulator for doing, for being a truck driver. They've got something oh, cool. for, well, so the young people can put their hands on it. I believe Even
0: college has a little something like that too, that they roll up to uh, uh-huh. the high schools or at least give to the OCAP students.
2: Okay. So but, they have a, yeah. something where kids can actually put their hands on. Is it portable or is it something where people have to go to the college? It's a
0: trailer. It's a trailer. Okay.
2: Well, cool. yeah. oh, that's awesome. Yeah. They haul it. Yeah. I do think if you did that and because people are... You know, I don't know about you, but a lot of people are visual learners. Like, they see it. Mm-hmm. You Especially know. in the tree. Yeah. It's not something, you know, you can talk about, hey, here's what it's like to do the welding. Here's what it's like to uh, do, you know, work in a mine. But if mm-hmm. I walk you there and show you it, it is far more impactful. You get a much oh, yeah. better idea of what it's going to be like, which is what young people need to see and feel. They got to see it and feel it.
0: So pre-COVID Valley actually used to do a family day thing too where people were allowed to come in. Obviously, things where everything was pretty much shut down and they would actually tour the mines. Mm-hmm. People would at least bring their families to surface. There'd be a barbecue. We'd talk about our jobs and things like that. Uh, sadly, COVID definitely put a halt to a lot of things. Sure. So I really hope to bring that back.
2: Yeah, that would be great. I do think, um, again, I, I, I think just letting people you know see it And feel it, I think that's a game changer. I think that's really what's going to help our youth, really help guide them into these skill trade careers. Mm -hmm. Well, Kendra, I really appreciate you taking the time to be a guest on the Skill Stadium podcast. Please share how people can find you.
0: Okay, so uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and right now I'm on Instagram as well. You can either follow Kick-Ass Careers to see some of my posts come up, or you can follow us on Millwright Chicks, Uh, I'm pretty sure it's millwrightish underscore chicks uh, on Instagram. Yeah. And that would be for me and Jeff.
2: Sounds good. Well, we'll make sure we have that in notes. Kendra, thank you so much for being a guest on the skill stadium podcast. I wish you continued success and I hope you can enjoy the rest of your day today. Awesome. I, I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you, Kendra.
1: Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.